The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC one more time, one last time for 2019 for Brett McGarry, Loren McNabb on the start. It's the start on demand. We want to thank you so much for downloading, subscribing, and sharing this version of our program. And thanks to everyone who reaches out. And in the final podcast of the year, we'll hear about why you might want to make sure you know what your guests are drinking if they're coming to you your house tonight or any other time for that matter and we'll find out also if you don't have any plans for new year's eve how can you help the folks at operation red nose all that and much more coming up on this edition of the start on demand happy new year let's get right down to business so we asked the question, you got hosting a party tonight. What are your responsibilities as the host? Matthew Duffy is a partner at Pitt Blado Law, and he joined Richard and Julie yesterday on the news to help us with the legalities and potential pitfalls of opening your homes to friends and family. About 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, the, the Supreme Court seemed to, to kibosh the notion that a, that a, a host, a social host, we call them, uh, could be responsible for the actions of their guests, both to the guests themselves and, and to the public at large. But some recent case law out of Ontario suggests that uh, it may not be um, uh, completely absolved uh, and there may be some liability. So, so we urge people to, to host events in their private homes responsibly. We urge them to make sure that if you're going to serve alcohol, you make sure to provide ways home for people, taxi cabs, taxi chips, remind them not to be drinking and driving, remind them not to be engaging in activity that could be reasonably foreseeable and cause harm to themselves or others. And I think that is something that that we often do anyway, but at some point, does an adult not have to be responsible for their own decisions? Absolutely they do, and I would say that's the starting point in any legal analysis of this, um, of social host liability. But but at the same time, there are instances where, you know, depending on the relationship between the host and their guests, um, that there is an onus that might be placed on the host. I mean, if you're talking about sort of underage kids or even young adults, um, sure, they may be responsible for their own actions, but you can have contributory liability. You can have two parties who are responsible for a, a, an injury or loss. Which gets us to Ontario. Talk about some of those decisions. So so the, the, the Supreme Court case comes uh, back in 2006, and it's the Charles Demereaux decision. Um, and and th- that was one where the Supreme Court said, you know, in contra- contradiction to commercial host liability, when we're talking about bars and restaurants, that it's very rare for a social host to owe a duty to the public to monitor their guests and to monitor their alcohol intake, and, and no duty of care was found there. But but fast forward about 10 years or so, um, and there's a recent decision from the Ontario Court of Appeal, which didn't find the host liable, but it said quite clearly that, that look, this is a decision that needs to go to trial. We're going to look at each case on its facts, the facts of that case and the case is, is, is Williams and Richard um, were really quite sad and tragic. Williams goes over to Richard's house, over indulges in alcohol, 15 beers in three hours was found, and then goes and drives the babysitter home and sadly gets into a, an accident, killing himself and injuring his children. The, the 
outcome of that hasn't yet been determined. But the court did say at one point during during the lawsuit that we're not ready to just say that social hosts can't be liable. And in fact, the fact that the hosts knew that he was drinking, knew that he was going to drive uh, and did nothing to prevent it leads us to think that we may need a trial to determine whether or not liability should be imposed in these circumstances. And um, we await, if, if that matter does go to trial, we certainly await that decision. But we're looking back to start this half hour at the past year and our opinions, our views, our reflection on crime in the city. And Loren, since we convened uh, this this threesome that is the start uh, about a year and a half ago, we've been talking about crime in our community and the changes that we've seen over the last couple of years. But it's only been in the last several months that it's really captivating at least according to a, a, a new poll, mm-hmm. your imagination, and when I say your, I mean the royal your, our listeners and and the general public. It's well, just well, finally getting to the top of their priority list in a, in a very big way. We mentioned yesterday that it's crazy when you look back. We played that clip from Chief Danny Smythe, Winnipeg Police Service, from February 2018 about how he mentioned meth and the issues associated with it were keeping him up at night. That's coming up on two years. So almost two years ago, the alarms were sounded over a change in drug use, a change in crime in our city, and we've seen the results of that, felt that, and we've talked about it repeatedly being one of our number one concerns, and now our, I mean, as yourself, Brett, and I, but numbers from a poll done by Pro Research show that our collective concern about crime is on the rise. In fact, it's it's basically the highest that Probe says it's ever been when it comes to how Winnipegers rank everything from crime to infrastructure to healthcare. Crime's topping the list, and the concern is uh, way higher than it's been in the past. We'll get into those poll numbers in a moment, but first, here's Eric Pandera with what's contributing to our worries. Winnipeg recorded 44 homicides in 2019 breaking the city's grim 2011 record of 41. And while many are calling for action, one criminal justice expert says there's no easy solution or quick fix. We have uh, situations that will require a long-term strategies, right? Uh, Social inequality, poverty, uh, drug addiction, uh, gangs. I mean, they they tend to be uh, correlated with high homicide rates. U of W professor Michael Weinrath says those strategies require investing in social programs, not just policing. However, Weinrath also says homicide rates are fluid, not easily explained. You know, we have a high number of homicides this year. It might go down again uh, next year. Uh, I mean, last year, you know, we had in the in the low 20s. But this year's bump will have a ripple effect on the justice system. Uh, they're significantly long trials, so it can end up backing up the court system. Weinrath says, well, homicides aren't always easily preventable. You know, how do you uh, prevent a uh, you know, an argument at a party, uh, someone grabs a knife, uh, perhaps they don't even mean to, to kill the person, and suddenly they're dead. Long-term investments in social services and other care could help reduce violent crime. Eric Pindera, Global News. So some of the numbers from the poll done by Probe Research, which was in the Winnipeg Free Press this morning, done exclusively for them, they show that at the start of this year, crime was still the top concern for Manitobans, followed by drugs and then by infrastructure and healthcare. So those all make sense to me. Those are always kind of the basket of four. But you combine drugs and crime really go together. At the start of the year, 29% of Winnipeggers said it was their top concern. As of this week, 50%. So that's a huge jump from 29% to 50%. It has been one heck of a year with liquor store thefts and the, the brazenness we've seen in other 
you know, meat thefts, cheese thefts, shoplifting and all the rest. So I get that. Never mind the homicide numbers. Never mind the homicide numbers. But if you combine Manitobans' concerns with crime and then drugs and then meth, which is also on the list, you really have more like 70% of people saying this is a huge concern for them, which which I guess I, I kind of feel good about because to me it's like, yes. The light is finally coming on. Yes, it is. So now what are we going to do about it? Sure. The, the pressure on politicians, on our leaders to do something about this, I think, is as high as it's ever been. It's uh, as intense as it's ever been. We have to keep asking questions and looking for answers. And the status quo, I don't think, is going to be good enough in 2020, which is why I think this is a, a really good time for this number to be what it is in terms of public opinion, because I think it gives us the green light to put more pressure. I think we've been doing our best to do that, but I think we can crank it up a, another level here based on public support and public concern. I also think that it, it, it it's the time has come for us to say, if we're all worried about this, and, and by the way, the poll showed that that worry is equal outside Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So I think we like to always put this on a certain neighborhood sure. or, or even pinpoint the downtown. Or we talk about, oh, I, wouldn't, I would be concerned I about my safety that, downtown. I think that ship that, has sailed. That ship has sailed as well, right? So yeah. if, you, if you talk about it being a number one concern outside city limits, that means that people in rural areas and communities, small towns are, are feeling it too. And it might just be, you know, a rash of garage break-ins or uh, petty robbery out of your car. Or it could be something more serious, right? And so that when you talked about the criminologist in that story that we just played by Eric Bandera talking about those bigger social ills that are at play, obviously there's long-term solutions there. But what's needed is that that level of concern in the response by people coming out and politicians saying, this is also our number one priority and therefore we will treat it as and, such. And that street cr- crime should be seen as an indicator of larger things, larger issues going on within our community and we should not be turning our back on that. When I was in California a couple of weeks ago, I met up with uh, friends of mine that are from Winnipeg and that was the first thing they wanted to talk about was the crime in Winnipeg that they've been hearing about. And we had friends over from Calgary last night, former Winnipeggers who tell me that Calgary is getting, is getting really bad as well. So there was some commiseration there uh, on the, on the side of uh, Alberta and, and, and Manitoba with regard to this. And for as much as we complain about roads in this city, that went on the downward trend sure. as concerns because the crime has gone up. Perhaps that's where we shifted our concerns, but think about that then. How often are you complaining about the roads? But but if you're to be displaced by to crime, be displaced by crime, that I think takes a lot. Special day for a lot of folks. There are many who will kind of treat this as just another day, sure, and that's as tomorrow, fine too. an opportunity just to sleep in or spend time with family, yep. which is terrific. I I have zero qualms with that. But there are others who like to celebrate and they like to do it in a big way. New York has Times Square. I would say our equivalent, and you don't have to be in a holding pen to do it, is down at the Forks. That's where we start this hour. Larissa Peck with the Forks, of course, is going to be up late night, up early with us this morning. I'm going to guess up late tonight, Larissa. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I am up early. It's it's looking really beautiful here at the Forks on the last day of 2019. I love it. And it's great to have a nice look and a decent weather forecast for folks who might be looking to head outside tonight. Tell us what you got going down there. So first of all, I know there's kind of two versions of the night. You do one that might be more suitable for kids who need to get to bed early and then another one for adults. So how does it work with the fireworks and the other festivities that you might have going on? 
Yeah, exactly. We do have two separate firework displays, um, one at 8 p.m. out by the Winnipeg sign where we're having like a DJ dance and skate party out by the CN rink and field out there. Um, and that's maybe for some folks who have an earlier bedtime or who maybe aren't going to quite make it till midnight. Um, so we do kind of a mini firework show then and a, and a countdown at that point. And then, of course, at midnight, the big firework show in the port where the best place to watch that would kind of be by the canopy skating rink or in the port area. So um, obviously but- no uh, skating on the rivers so far, uh, Larissa, but uh, lots of skating to be had. And I think that's a great way to spend the evening as well. Yeah, exactly. We have the Manitoba 150 trails, uh, about a kilometer of trails on land. Um, and lots of the warming huts from past years are on site. So you can take a walk or a skate through the site and explore those. But then also today we have uh, pickup ball hockey in the um, plaza parking lot right in front of the market all day long. Um, some fire pots, you can warm up by the fire. Um, and then inside the market, we have lots of uh, activities for families all night. Uh, but starting at about 4 p.m., there's going to be a cool photo booth where you can kind of take a step back in time with Parks Canada in front of a green screen and some cool props. Um, there's also some crafts with Art City and synonym art consultation throughout the night. And then really special, um, Juno Award-winning singer-songwriter William Prince will be performing at 8.15 p.m. right in the food hall. Uh, so that's a really cool and really special way to bring in Manitoba 150 with a, with a local uh, Manitoba artist. How big has this night become for the Forks? How many people are you, you seeing each year, Larissa, and how has that grown? Yeah, you know, it really varies uh, with the weather, but we do, even in the coldest, coldest of polar vortexes, we do see many, many people come out and celebrate in the community with us at the Forks. Um, it's ranging from 30 to 50 plus thousand people throughout the day. Um, so yeah, I would absolutely recommend that um, if you're driving down here to prepare to perhaps park off site and walk to the forks, um, should the parking situation be at capacity. I also know that transit is free tonight, so that's an option. Um, yeah. And again, the fireworks, there's two sets. And sometimes people like to watch them maybe from a distance. You can also catch them from your apartment building or you might want to park yourself and your family somewhere else. So the first set for the kids, the younger crowd, and by young, I mean, you know, 12 and under basically (laughs) is what time. What are the timings again for those? Yeah, the the mini fireworks show is at 8 p.m. out at the Winnipeg sign and the big uh, fireworks show to ring in 2020 is right at midnight in the port. And Larissa, are there buses that go right into the Fork site? Can I take the bus uh, essentially right to the market? Yeah, there's a there is one bus that does come right up into the Forks Market, but a, a really good option is to take the bus um, to Union Station to the train station. Many many buses stop there, um, and you can actually walk right through Union Station onto the Forks site. And so that's like about a two minute walk from Union Station to the Forks Market. Yeah, a lot of people realize that, or maybe don't realize that that's an option that you can walk right through Union Station and past the departure lounge, and then right out into the Forks site. They've got the the beautiful archway there. I think it's is it the yeah. Alloway Archway? And the Alloway Arch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's absolutely spectacular. And you can uh, catch up with the statue uh, uh, of Gandhi there as well outside the Museum for Human Rights. So lots of things to take in along the way. It's it, it's just not a hike. There are lots of uh, things to experience as you make your way from Union Station to the Forks itself. 
Yeah, absolutely. And even Union Station itself, if you haven't been in there, it's beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. I just walked through the rear with my kids during the Grey Cup Parade a couple weeks ago, and they're, what is this place? And it's stunning. Yeah. So it's actually kind of a nice part of the journey to the Forks. Yeah, and if yes, you're going to be absolutely. there at night, you can uh, also uh, check out uh, the the Upper Fort Gary and the wonderful display that they have there. It's just a great opportunity to reconnect uh, with Winnipeg downtown as a whole, and then these uh, little gems that we we have in and around the Forks as well, Larissa, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I agree. Um, and, I mean, especially as we're heading into Manitoba 150, uh, that anniversary celebration, there's so much historical um, context right here, right in the heart of the city, where the Red and Assiniboine Rivers meet. Well, Larissa, thank you so much. Uh, obviously, so picturesque uh, to see the fireworks. Eight o'clock will be, as you called it, the mini display at the Winnipeg sign and then in the harbor at midnight to bring in 2020. We'll wish you a happy new year as we let you run uh, for today and uh, wish you <laughs> lots of luck in, uh, in uh, keeping going. Lots of coffee, I suspect, for you today, Larissa. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. And uh, happy new year to you. Happy new year. I'm Greg, she's Loren. We start this half hour looking back at uh, the top stories of the last decade. And even though it just happened uh, in, the, in the last year, I don't think there's any recency bias here, Loren. This is legitimately one of the top stories of the decade, what we saw up in Gillum and this past summer. It goes back to a headline that basically repeated itself for several weeks, it felt like at, at some points. Started off with a search in BC and then kept going on and on, something like this. The search for two B.C. murder suspects has moved to a new area tonight. RCMP officers have set up a roadblock near Sundance, Manitoba, a community about 45 minutes northeast of Gillum, where the pair was last spotted. Gillum, Manitoba, uh, mentioned by CNN, by news stations in Australia, news stations in Europe. Gillum, of course, the focus, because that's where the search for those two murder suspects ended with the discovery of their bodies back in August. It was a tumultuous few weeks for folks up there and uh, getting far more attention than perhaps they had ever had before. And we're joined now by Gillum Mayor Dwayne Forum for a look back on those times and, and how things are now. Good morning, Mayor, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. So when you take us back to those days uh, that kind of turned into weeks in Gillum, the mood in the community went from sort of this close-knit community to everybody locking their doors. That's fair to say. Oh, yeah. It was uh, it was definitely a, a huge change for our community. It was um, uh, hard, hard to explain. Just not something that our small community is used to, that's for sure. Well, tell us about Gillum before this all happened, Mayor Foreman. Uh, Gillum is just a, a small, close-knit community. Uh, basically, it's a hydro uh, town, they call it, per se. Uh, there's three hydroelectric dams that are in the area. A fourth one's being built right now. You may know of it as Kiask. Uh, that's all in the, the general vicinity. and uh, So a large portion of the area is uh, hydro employees and Fox Lake members. And uh, just a small town that... Uh, I was raised in here, and everyone just gets along. We're, we're a great, small, tight-knit community. 
Well, I know lots of people that have come from there. We've got friends that lived there for years and went on about how they love that sort of neighborly feel. But then when you saw some of the pictures from the manhunt and the search for those two suspects over that spanned several days, you then saw police, you know, descending on different neighborhoods, different homes, uh, blocking streets. There was helicopters in the air, police boats and searches. I I can't imagine you having grown up there had ever seen anything like that before. Oh, absolutely not. Nothing to that extent. Not even close, no. It was there genuine fear at the time? Uh it was it was still it was mixed. Uh, some people were uh afraid and others felt that they weren't in the area, so they went on with a normal life. So it it was mixed emotions. Uh for me, uh I didn't know how to feel, honestly. I, I kinda went numb, but my wife was uh definitely quite fearful and uh made sure that I took the extra uh, defenses around the house to make sure nothing happened to our family. The Mayor of Gila, Manitoba, Dwayne Foreman, is our guest, and we're looking back at the top stories of the decade, and this is, of course, at the, right at the top of the list of the top story of this year in Manitoba and in, in Canada. And so maybe on the uh, flip side of this, Mayor Foreman, some of the images uh, that were shown across, Loren mentioned the CNN and and TV stations around the world, and of course uh, on the World Wide Web, uh, your part of the world is absolutely stunningly beautiful for as rugged and and for all the all the negative things that were that were said about your community. It is absolutely beautiful. Oh, this, this terrain is is stunning, uh, especially right now. If I could send you guys photos you you wouldn't believe what this area looks like now it's a uh, a winter wonderland of just beautiful beautiful terrain out here all the trees have hoarfrost on them and uh it's just i don't know i'm just looking outside right now it's i love it well, you're welcome to send us those photos, Mayor Foreman, if you want, 780-6868. But I think Greg hit it. For as, for as much as a struggle as there was in that community in terms of, you know, balancing your safety with the need to go on with your lives, as much as the search overtook the town, perhaps, for those few weeks, it was the stark beauty of that rugged nature that I think drew many people to talk more about Gillum and, and to take a look at a place of the province we probably hadn't before. How long before everything kind of felt like it was back to normal or... Or has it felt like that? Uh, I'm pretty... Uh, yeah, I feel that we're back to a sense of normalcy in the community. I, I'm i not sensing any fear from when I talk to the community members anymore. I think they got their closure on August 7th. Uh, there were still some uh, people that, that were negatively affected by this and... Uh, uh, through combination of NRHA, which is the Northern Regional Health Authority, uh, Manitoba Hydro and Fox Lake, uh, all got together and got uh, mental health workers available for anyone in the community that needed it. And uh, I haven't heard of anyone requiring any uh, mental health uh, to date. Well, Mayor uh, Foreman, thank you for taking the time as you did with us so often throughout the manhunt. Uh, you were always accessible to us. You, you kept us up to date. And and uh, hopefully the only reason we have to talk about Gillum uh, in the future is uh, because uh, people are, are, are coming to your part of the province to explore it and enjoy it. And uh, condolences to the family and the extended family in your community. We know there was a, there was a, a woman who passed away uh, due to exposure in Gillum in the last couple of days. And uh, that's got to be uh, affecting uh, the greater community as well. 
Absolutely. It's a very sad time in our community once again, and uh, uh, thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah, 2019, uh, a year for uh, for the history books for Gillum, and we'll look forward to 2020, and uh, we'll look for excuses to talk to you about the positive things uh, heading forward, Mayor Foreman. Thank you. That would be great. Thank you. You hit it, though, Greg. It, it, it's hard in those moments when you're looking at that. So many of us have not traveled that far north in our province and might never get to. And so then when our cameras went up, and, and again, I understand and respect that there was a very serious story unfolding there. And then the deaths of the two suspects in the murders in B.C. brings closure to the community, but not necessarily to the family of the no. murder victims and not to the families of the suspects. There's a whole host of other things going on. But I, I couldn't get over the images from that area. And I kept it, it was once you saw the pictures of the ravine and the river that they were talking about in the forest and saw some of the bugs in the air and how they were talking about how hard it would be for those two suspects to get that much farther than they did, that they would either die in those woods or have gone somewhere else. It all made sense. It was it was rugged and stunning. Yeah, it, a, a, an incredible combination, quite frankly. Uh, unforgiving, uh, a lot of people call the terrain. But if you're prepared mm-hmm. and you have the proper equipment, I can only imagine it, it must be a nature lover's delight in that part of the world. If you're not walking or taking the bus or taking cab to where you might be going, you may want to enlist the services of our next guests. Operation Red Nose is a crucial service for December, but particularly on New Year's Eve. We were speaking with them last week about their need for more volunteer drivers, and we wanted to check in to see where that need is at this hour. Shara Hinton is with Operation Red Nose and joins us now. Good morning, Shara. Good morning. So I know last week there was a concern that you might not have enough drivers. What are your numbers at right now and what are you looking to get to? So we've uh, we've climbed up um, a fair amount where we should have about 35 drive teams out tonight, um, give or take one or two here and there. Um, our target was 50 drive teams or 150 volunteers. So we're still short of our target, but um, having this number of drive teams does um, make a big difference in reducing the wait time for our clients that are calling and looking for a ride. So if someone wanted to still volunteer, is there room for them to do so tonight, Shara? Yeah, we, yes, I can still take a, um, some volunteers if they, um, the earlier they get in touch with me, the earlier today, the earlier I can uh, get them their application processed and uh, get them ready to go tonight. So, yeah, yes, we still do have room for volunteers. What's involved in that in that process of becoming a volunteer and and I guess subsequently being approved? Yeah, it it's pretty simple. Um, we have a um, an online application on our website at rednosewpg.ca. Um, that's the easiest way to do it is to. Go to our website, um, fill out the application, and then submit it to us. It comes to us through email. We process it, and uh, we still have the Winnipeg police doing criminal record checks for us. So um, I, they have a short day today, so the sooner someone can get it to me, you know, the faster I can get it to them, and uh, we can take care of that and get them ready to go for tonight. For the folks who have never taken Operation Red Nose before, it works pretty simply in terms of having that phone call and that time book, but also in the idea, the reason why you need those drive teams and not just a driver uh, is twofold. There's a safety reason, but also helping people get their car home. Can you explain that a little bit, Sheriff? Yes. So we, yeah, our whole service is driving you home in your car. So um, we have, we 
um, have a drive team of three people, and uh, one person drives the team around in their personal vehicle, and then the other two, the designated driver and the navigator, actually uh, drive the client home in their car. So we always put two volunteers in, in the client's car with the client and their passengers um, just for uh, for safety reasons, so uh, to protect our volunteer and the client also. So, so yeah, we that's why we need such a large number of volunteers with three people on every team. Share one more time. Give us that website so folks can uh, either volunteer or uh, sign up for the service tonight. So uh, our our website is rednosewpg.ca, and that's the best place for our volunteers to go. Uh, clients looking for a ride um, need to call us tonight starting at 9 p.m. at 204-947-6673. Wonderful service you provide. And if anyone hasn't taken before, it's also a great experience. You meet some lovely Winnipeggers, beautiful volunteers, putting their time out to make sure you get home safely. Shara Hinton with Operation Red Nose. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Stay safe tonight. It's a long day for them too. That's a lot of work to get done. No question about it. I've uh, seen videos in the past too of some of these drivers. They're, uh, I don't want to say they're entertainers, but we've had friends have Operation Red Nose come to their house and the driver last time came with a guitar and sort of serenaded them because <laughs> he was waiting for the other ride. And, you know, really? the service is not as quick sometimes as a taxi or sometimes it's quicker. And so it's just sort of this whole great New Year's Eve experience uh, with that driver helping everyone get home safely. And they also are in rural areas. So if you're in rural Manitoba, take a look at that too. That's also an option to get you home safely and uh helping you have a good time tonight without worrying about how your car is going to get home. I like the way you're thinking. Operation Red Nose uh, doing great work. TFJ sounds like such a fan when he says that. Uh, it's like he likes me. And then in the newsroom, what do you want, McNabb? That's what his face says to me all the time. Right is now. he? Behind yes. my back, though. Smiling behind your back. See, I turned scowl. <laughs> TFJ scowling at me. TFJ, anything you have to say before we let you go? Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Thanks for uh, filling the breach, Jeff Braun, under the weather. TFJ putting his hand up and saying, pick me. Pick me to get up at 235. Uh, <laughs> the definition of voluntold. Yeah, voluntold, exactly. <laughs> Nothing feels better than an alarm. Right around 3 a.m., I always oh, say. Oh, it's, it's the best thing ever. Uh, hey, mm-hmm. here's the good news, TFJ. You're done by noon. Y- yeah. Right? That's uh, the equivalent of a participation award, but yes. Well, you can uh, you can start the revelry now, or yeah. very soon. My revelry will involve me going home and taking a nap. Oh, come on. Well, what are you doing tonight? No plans? Oh, no, I do have plans. We're going to go to a buddy's place. We'll get a few of us together. We'll play board games and laugh at stupid crap and then go home. What board game? Uh, I don't know. I haven't figured that out. Maybe play some Mario Kart as well. That's nice. Fun. We just got a bunch of board games for Christmas, and so I'm dipping back into the things I played as a young kid. Monopoly's back on the table. For the very first time, I played Yahtzee. Mm. What do you mean, for the I very never first played time that in your before. life? I don't believe so. What? Yeah. Okay. It is a thrilling moment when you get a Yahtzee, oh, though. i got to bring our guest on here. Eric Labalpa, how are you, Eric? How's it going, guys? Good morning. Doing great. Have you played Yahtzee before? To be honest, I have not. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh, are you See, kidding me? It's not a thing that everybody just plays. I know, I know the game. Yeah. I actually say it every once in a while yeah. when I catch a fish, but no, I've never played it. Oh, you say it when you catch a fish. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why we brought it. That's, that's when you get all five dice uh, with exactly the same amount on them. 
four. Apparently, it's rare. Rare. It, it happens uh, every so often. Or is it in order? Like, no, that's nope. a straight. It's got to be five of the same right. dice. Five fives, five fours. Five yeah, one. it's a pretty yeah. thrilling thing when it happens. Anyway, Yahtzee <laughs> being pulled out of. Uh, Hibernation, Hibernation, put in the rotation as, of board games. As we also talk about fishing this morning, because we're bringing you on, uh, Eric. We had had conversations yesterday about, you know, the changing, fluctuating levels on our lakes and in our rivers and in our creeks because of all the rain and then snow that we had in the fall. And we thought we'd better check in to see how that's working for folks who want to get out on the river this time of year. Has it had an impact on some of the the fishing you've been able to do with those fluctuating levels? Oh, it definitely has. The Red River is usually one of the more popular uh, fishing destinations in the province for locals and visitors alike, and uh, it's sort of off-limits right now. You, you can access it, but you won't see any vehicles on there at the moment. Uh, in the city, you can immediately see that uh, no one's skating on there or, or cross-country skiing on the, on the rivers right now. And the same thing is for people fishing uh, north of the city there. It's uh, not exactly safe. You guys mentioned earlier that the Kidfish Derby was cancelled. It was indeed uh, safety first, of course. It's because... Uh, like that, that ice is like higher. It's unprecedented, as you guys know, and and the, and it's dropping. So when the water, like the the flow goes down, the ice that's formed on top sort of crashes down, and then now it's all frazzled. It's all over the place. It's so unpredictable. Uh, so yeah, it, it's really affected it so far. And what about on Lake Winnipeg? We've seen uh, uh, Balsam Bay. Some I know a lot of people will say, oh well, that, those are people not really using their heads. Uh, you know, vehicles uh, finding their way to the bottom of the lake through the ice. But we see that every single year, do we not, Eric? People who don't really uh, understand the conditions and, and what they should be doing in certain ice conditions. First off, uh, right off the bat, ice, uh, frozen water is uh, never 100% safe. Never. Like a, a truck, a truck's tires or anything can go through in the middle of February kind of thing. It's, uh, it's never safe. It is always in a use at your own risk kind of thing go at your own risk factor to to ice fishing uh, but that being said more more experience uh, uh people going on to lake winnipeg will take for example uh sort of have an idea on how to maneuver around ridges and and how to how to respect the lake kind of thing so uh we had an early winter this year like er- early freeze up usually december is more early ice considered but uh december this year was like mid-january conditions because of the early winter so people were taking advantage and uh, hitting the lake early but then people were driving out there and uh, usually Christmas week is our marker for driving on the ice. And people were driving very early and taking on 30-foot campers. So, I mean, uh, there, there, there's some, some things that maybe uh, probably in hindsight you'd probably do better. But it, it could happen at any time. What happens is, like, anyone, like, flying on planes, for example, especially the ones going west, you get a really good view if you look out the window at Lake Manitoba. And you'll see it's like a puzzle. And you'll see these pieces and ridges breaking up pretty good from the air. So what happens is these things spread apart, especially when the ice is thinner, you're talking less than 20 inches. They break apart. And then what happens is you've got this open water, which is going to freeze over again. So you could have 18 inches, one foot this way and two feet that way, where the ridge is opened up, you'll have three inches. And it's not readily seen looking out your truck window or over your snowmobile kind of thing. So a lot of people get into trouble that way. And that could happen at any time of the year, March, April, you name it kind of thing. It's, uh, that happens on the lake. So... People got really got to respect it and uh, always check the ice wherever you go. I think you used the right word there. I've brought this up to other people over the past few weeks about how the levels have really impacted the safety. And, and they were surprised to hear that because it's not a t- just a really atypical year. It's been super unusual that's led us to these circumstances. And so in some ways, you can forgive the Manitobans who might have made the assumption that by this time in the year, they were good to go. Oh, definitely so. I mean, people do have to check. Sometimes... People always believe what they hear or, or see or read on, online or, or through word of mouth and stuff like that. But uh, nothing beats checking stuff for yourself. 
especially if you're uh, you've got other people's safety, like uh, you're responsible for say say kids or or, or other people who aren't as experienced. Uh, it's on those uh, anglers to to make sure that uh, what you're venturing is safe. So uh, the Life Saving Society of Manitoba is uh, a great resource. Check it out for winter safety and ice safety. They've got a great website there. Check it out for uh, reference and stuff like that on, on ice safety. Eric Labalpa is our uh, is our guest this morning, and we're we're talking about ice fishing. Fishing. Eric is the organizer of the of the Winnipeg Ice Fishing Show, and uh, also enjoys his time out on the lake. Is that the flip side? What what we saw earlier uh, in the winter in the fi- ice fishing season, and and some of these vehicles going through. And, and you say it can happen at any time, but the more popular that ice fishing gets, you have more novice fishers who are going out and and trying it for the first time and maybe not understanding some of the precautions they need to take uh, that's exactly right I, we do want everyone to enjoy the sport and we love new people coming into the sport and yes it's a sport we call it a sport it's ice fishing <laughs> but uh yeah like with, with more people coming in it's 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 even more important to have uh, education out there and, and to people to be spreading the right uh the right message out there on, on respecting the ice and respecting waterways and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of people sort of, you know, I was driving on there last March, so I see ice again, it's good to go again kind of thing, and they're not really taking the proper precautions. Uh, when I was younger, there, I would have all the safety equipment, you name it, like cleats and, and spikes and stuff like that, and uh, I drive with my windows open if we're hitting the lake, and a lot of times I don't see people do that anymore kind of thing. You know, seatbelts off when you're, when you're driving on. Uh, it's, it's at your own risk, so please, if, if you aren't sure, Please ask, ask around and ask questions and ask people who are more experienced before uh, going out on the ice. So final question, just a few seconds before we let you go. The Red River, you're saying it's not safe right now for fishing work. If I want to go and get some done over the new year or on the weekend, where should I be heading? Uh, Lake Winnipeg, all, all the lakes, the White Shell, everywhere, they're all good to go for, for walking traffic. That's for sure. Get out there. People are walking on the Red River as well. It's rough ice right now, but you can walk out there and, and catch the fish. And one more thing, Lauren, you mentioned pickerel. Uh, a lot of the collective anglers across the province were shaking their fists at the radio, I'm sure. Uh, walleye when it's ah. sport fishing, we call it walleye. I know. Uh, and I, I learned this. The plate is okay. Oh, I learned this the last time. I'm sorry. I, you know what? As, as long as I didn't say jackfish. I mean, I don't know. I got it all mixed up sometimes. No, so. it's all good. Pickerel, Manitoba, we call it pickerel. It's not a problem with that. It's all good. <laughs> Did you say pickerel when it's on the plate? Walleye when it's in the lake? Yeah, it's yeah. almost like saying beef, pork, venison kind of thing. And then uh, walleye when it's uh, when you're sport fishing. It's like if I'm walleye. passing the field of steers and I point out and say, oh, look at that steak. You can't do that. You got to get it right in the moment. All right? I got it. Next time, like that, yeah. I won't make the mistake again. Or I will and you'll call me out and that'll be fine. Hey, Eric, how can people keep up with you on the social media? Uh, check us out there at huntfishmanitoba.com. That's a great resource for uh, learning how to fish the province of Manitoba. All right, 2020 pledge. We are going to get out on the lake, okay? I've got a couple people who... who uh, who approached me after you were on the air, who said, uh, we're going to get you out on the lake, and that includes you, Eric. We're going to drag you out there, okay? Let's do it anytime. Let me know. Okay, my friend. Happy New Year, and uh, thanks, as always, for your expertise, your sense of humor, your insight. Uh, You're a fantastic guest, and uh, uh, one of the highlights of 2019 was uh, getting to put you in our Rolodex. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Happy New Year to all the listeners out there. (laughs) Take care, Eric. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. 911.